Father God, we give you thanks for men and women, families too, Lord, that you have called into ministry. And so we pray not just for Pastor Ben, but also for his wife, Dinah, as they minister the word in different churches in Singapore. God, I pray you will anoint him, you will enable him to speak to us an apt word, a word in season that will touch our hearts, that will do what the word says, teach, correct, rebuke, train, and train us in righteousness. And so, Lord, we commend him to you. We pray for your blessings and your anointing upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's my first time in this church, and, and after that wonderful introduction, I, I know you want to know the real stuff, right? How old is he? Well, I'm, um, the bad news is I'm on the wrong side of 40. But the good news is, soon I'll be on the right side of 50. Okay? And uh, as your pastor said, I've got uh, two children and one wife. Just to be clear, my wife can't be here today because she's speaking uh, at Pai Methodist Church, uh, but she, her spirit is with us today. And uh, I, I'm also very glad to be here because I, I've heard a lot about your church, that your church is very strong in serving the community. And today, before the sermon, I heard the announcements and the rumors I heard is true. <laughs> so, so I'm glad to be here. And also, um, when I ask your pastor, how long do I have? He says, we are brethren. We love the Word of God. You can go as long as you want. <laughs> so I was saying, just go. We love the Word. Day and night, night and day. <laughs> he said, but he said, at 10.30, we'll turn off the lights. Uh, you can continue preaching, but we'll go for our breakfast, he said. We love the word he says, so I say amen. And, and today, I, I, um, I'm glad to be here, honestly. And uh, I, I've been to your, your church before and talked to your pastor, your staff, and, and some of the elders as well. Uh, as he said, I was born in Sabah. I grew up in a very small town called Kodakinabalu. Uh, I, I came here when I was 11 years old. Um, and I went to St. Andrew's Primary, St. Andrew's Secondary, and St. Andrew's Junior College. So I'm not just a saint but I'm a true blue saint. <laughs> and after studying in JC, I, I went to Perth, did a degree in accounting. I came back and um, I became an accountant. So, um, and during the time when I was accounting, I planted a church with uh, my wife and uh, the time my girlfriend and three other friends, and the church actually grew. So after four years, I resigned from uh, being an accountant and a lay church planter, became a full-time pastor. So I used to count money, now I count sheep. And then about uh, three over years ago, the Lord called me to focus on sexuality. So, you know, in pastoring, we do marrying, bearing, and the whole works, right? And so the Lord called me three years ago to focus on sexuality and to focus on uh, an integrated approach to sexuality. So in other words, um, not just uh, same-sex attraction, but also opposite-sex attraction as well. So SSA, OSA, the, the both uh, spectrums. And to focus on prevention as well as intervention. So upstream work and downstream work. So it's holistic, integrated approach to sexuality. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm trained as an accountant. 
I've been a pastor for almost 20 years and now focused on sexuality. And uh, so he said, yep. So three years ago, my journey began. And I- I'm glad to have been uh, walking in-, in these past few years with individuals and with couples and with families who work through um, issues of sexuality. And-, and also, I've been glad to work with pastors and elders and church leaders on how to develop strategy to develop sexual wholeness. So today, I will share with you uh, my Sex 101 sermon. Uh, that wherever I, I, I'm asked to speak on sexuality, I, I, I give this message. And this message is titled, Returning to the Garden, which is embracing God's design for sexuality. Now, th- the reason why we have to go back to the garden um, is because very often, culture, the broader culture, informs our theology more than the Bible itself. And to look at um, God's design, we have to go back to the original garden. And, and, um, but before that, let me just... Um, yeah. About 50 over years ago, in the West particularly, we saw the phenomena called the sexual revolution, where the West argued that now we have sexual freedom and uh, that um, we can have sex with anybody, with any creature, anything, without the covenant of marriage. Covenant means sacred promise. And many people pointed to the Bible and to Christianity as the reason that sex has been repressed and suppressed. And so, so many in the West has jettisoned the Bible and Christianity and went full steam ahead to have sex any, with as many partners as you can. And, and this kind of thinking has reached our shores. And today we see the full consequences of this thinking in misdirected sexuality, teenage pregnancies, we see diseases, no-fault divorce, abortions, AIDS, and stats don't even cover the psychological scars from broken marriages, broken children, and dysfunctional families. So today, the Christian view on sex that was jettisoned is looking a lot more like wisdom today. And, and to understand God's view on sex, we have to go back to the first garden. Now, in 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 theology, there is the principle of first mention. That means that when you try to understand something, you have to go back to when it was first mentioned. So that's why we have to go back to the garden, the first garden. So we'll spend some time this morning on the book of Genesis. The Genesis account presents a microcosm of the entire story of humankind. And Genesis also gives an unblushing approach to human sexuality. Before I continue, let's pray together and commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures because we know that every scripture is inspired by you and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man and woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good thing. Today, O oh God, we sit under the authority of your word. Because we know that one word from heaven is going to transform our lives. 
Heavenly Father, we come Sunday after Sunday because we want to meet the risen Christ. And we want to be transformed into His likeness. Lord, would you speak into our hearts and transform us to be more like Jesus? Would you cause us to go out those doors as a transformed human being into the likeness of Jesus Christ? And Lord, would you uphold thy servant as he uplifts thy word? In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, returning to the garden, embracing God's design for sexuality. Now, in my message today, I'm going to talk to you about five intersections where sexuality intersects with Christianity. Five intersections. And the first one, number one, is, okay, the Christian way of thinking about sex. So in other words, before we talk about sex or sexuality, we have to talk about how do we even think what is our worldview on sex before we even talk about sex? Now, I, I realize that for some of you, it's the first time you've ever listened to a sermon on sex. So please put on your seatbelts and your crash helmets. Do we even need a Christian worldview on sex? Yes. We need a Christian worldview on economics, on politics on history, on geography, and also on sexuality. So today, I'm going to, in my first intersection, talk about the Christian way of thinking, or the Christian worldview, the Christian perspective on sex. And the first, the first perspective is that each human being is created in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, part A, God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. So God created our body for a very special purpose. Our body is created to be an eternal vessel to declare the glory of God. So in other words, you and I are an image bearer of the most high God. That's why every person, black, white, yellow, brown, whatever, big, small, mid-size, every person has intrinsic value, have intrinsic worth. And that's why, as Christians, we oppose abortion. Every person has intrinsic worth, intrinsic value. We, we don't just kill another human being like an animal and we want to eat. We don't just jump on another person to have sex where, we, where we're in heat like an animal because we are created in the image of the Most High God. And each person has intrinsic worth and intrinsic value. So each human being is created in God's image. And, and the other thing is that God created one humanity in two distinct genders, the male and the female. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, part B, uh, the Bible says, in the image of God, He created them, male and female. So God created the male and the female differences for oneness. Now, now you're going to follow me a little bit here because the image of how he created a male and female, which is humanity, is based on the Holy Trinity, which is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So the male and the female together 
reflect the Trinity. So a single image reflected in duality. So in other words, it takes both the male and the female to reflect God. So what does this mean? This means that like, for example, I saw a lot of little kids earlier on, uh, very cute ones. And in, in the Singapore system, we teach abstract concepts like algebra in sec one. Anyway, when I was growing up anyway. And, and so, so the, the young children, they don't understand concrete uh, uh, abstract concepts. So when we, we, we talk to the children uh, that God is love, Mummy is lovely, but God is love. And, and love is unconditional, uh, agape love. Then the kids are saying, what? What is unconditional? What is agape love? So the transcendent image of God, the Father, the Son, Spirit, is reflected in the male and female. So when the, the baby, when the ch- toddler looks at the father serving the mother, and the mother serving the father, and the father and their daddy saying sorry to their mother. And their mother saying sorry to the father, washing each other's feet, servant leadership, apologizing, helping each other, caring for each other. And then the child says, Ah, so God, who is unconditional love, agape love, is reflected in this man we call daddy and this woman we call mommy. So the male and the female reflect God's love. Now singles also reflect God's love in a different way. And, and in fact, we, we see Jesus in Mark chapter 10 in the gospel. He says the two become one flesh. So when Jesus says two becomes one, that is divine arithmetic. So in divine arithmetic, in Christian mathematics, the two becomes one. So in other words, marriage is two whole persons, two whole singles becoming one whole couple. So in other words, singles can also be whole people. Now, so singles and marriage reflect God's glory in different ways. And I will talk a bit about singles later on as well. So number three, the third um, perspective or the third worldview about sex is that okay, God gives sex or sexual intimacy as a gift to strengthen a specific relationship called a marriage between a man and a woman for life. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says a man will leave his dad and mom and be united or cleave to his wife. You see the oneness concept again. Oneness, two becomes one to reflect the Trinity. So leave his dad and mom, he becomes one with his wife, and they become one flesh. So Genesis states that sex is becoming one. Sex involves giving my entire humanity my body, heart, and emotions into another person. That's why marriage is sacred. Because in marriage, you are giving the most sacred thing in your life, which is your, your, your life, to another person. And, and sex is joining with another person, body, soul, and spirit. That's why sex is so powerful. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. It's only safe within a monogamous 
marriage between a man and a woman for life. Sex brings about the complete threefold union, body, soul, and spirit, and that is the goal of marriage. What the husband and the wife does in the sexual union is to unite across the gender divide. And unless they unite, the culture cannot survive. Sexual union that binds a husband and a wife together becomes one of worship unto the Lord, honouring His design for marriage and His design for union. So the marital bed honours God. The sexual union between a husband and a wife, Ephesians tells us that that oneness is the way that Christ is one also with the church. And so God receives the worship when a man, you know, our body is a living sacrifice and everything that we do is an act of worship, including when a husband in love and his wife joins in sexual union. God receives the worship from that. And this begets the question, who receives the worship from an illicit sexual union? Is the enemy. You see, God, back to the, to the point here, God didn't make us sexual beings and give us sex so we can be sexually fulfilled. God gave us sex to strengthen one specific relationship between a man and a woman in a marriage for life. He made us relational beings. And sex is the glue in the marriage to strengthen marriage. Number four, um, God incarnated as a man. So this is the doctrine of incarnation, God becoming man. And as distinct from Jews, which is our closest theological neighbours, Christians believe God has been embodied, whereas Jews believe God, uh, Jesus is uh, just a prophet. Now, the Word of God Himself became flesh and dwelt among us. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, is John speaking, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. So, so Jesus came became flesh and, and dwelt among us. So the body, which is the locus of our sexuality, and the body, which is the vehicle of sexual expression, is also a vehicle for the expression of God's own presence as God came down 2,000 years ago. That means the body, with its feelings, with his thoughts and his urges and longings, is also a place of divine revelation. So the incarnation of God or the embodiment of God is an important reason why human sexuality must never be considered only in terms of sex or genital sexuality. 
the body is also a place. It's not just sacred. The body is also a place of divine revelation, which leads us to the fifth worldview on sex, which is number five. That our body is not just sacred. It's not just a place of divine revelation. Our body is actually a temple. It's a walking temple of the Holy Spirit. So our body is special. Our body is the home of God's Spirit. I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. My parents were or, or are Anglicans. I came to know Jesus in Sunday school. Before I came to Singapore, my Sunday school, Sunday school teachers led me in the sinner's prayer. And, and the moment that, I, that, that we came to Christ, our body became part of God's body. And, and so Christ, the head of the church, and so we become spiritually one with Him. We are made for a union with Christ in this life and a closer union thereafter. And so Paul the Apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This, this passage here is, normally when I preach this passage, it's about the connection between sexuality and spirituality. But today, I just want to highlight one point, is that this, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And... and um, Rhetorically, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So it's the oneness again. Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. People say, it's my body. I can do whatever I want. And the, the Bible clearly says, you are not your own. And you were bought at a price. Some people act like the body is very cheap. They do whatever they want. I'm sorry. So, so uh, some people act like the body is cheap and they do whatever they want. And so Jesus came down, He incarnated, and He gave us His time, His life, and, and everything else, and, and um, His teaching, His friendship. And was, when there was nothing else, He gave the only thing else He had left, His life. So He went to the slave market of sin, for us who deserve hellfire and brimstone and He purchased us with His blood. And so uh, Paul reminds the Corinthians and through the Bible he reminds us you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Your body has a purpose to be an eternal vessel to declare the glory of God. And your body and my body is a walking temple of the Holy Spirit. Please do not bring the Holy Spirit into a union that He doesn't want to be there. So in other words, the Christian must have a high regard for the body because God does. The body is sacred. The Christian must have a high view of sex because God has a high view of sex. Sex is beautiful, it's powerful. It's only safe in a specific relationship called marriage between a man and a woman for life. 
that's the first. You look very serious today. <laughs> Did you know that it's legal to smile in church? Because I'm quite stressed right now. <laughs> number two, the second intersection between uh, Christianity and sexuality, number two, is sexuality and sexual wholeness. Now, um, sexuality has two concepts um, in tension. Now, the sensual and the affectionate. Now, you've got to follow um, uh, a little bit here. Now, sexuality, two broad areas, the sensual and the affectionate. So there's the hormones part, the intercourse part, the, the, and then there's the non-genital, the emotional part, the relational part. So the, the biological part, and then the, the, the friendship part. And as a Christian, we have to integrate these two halves of sexuality, the biological and the relational and social. So, let me, let me talk a bit about the, the sensual first, okay? Sexual desires, which is this, the, the, the sensual part, sexual desires are normal. They are healthy. Especially when the child goes through puberty, then they, they begin to feel all these sexual desires. So, these are normal, healthy, bodily sensations. But I must caution you today, do not confuse sexual desire with lust. They are two separate things. Now, what's the difference between sexual desires, which, which I mentioned was normal, healthy, right, and, and lust? Now, let me give you an example about uh, hunger. Hunger is a natural desire. Hunger is a normal, healthy desire. But gluttony, overeating, Bulimia, anorexia, those are disorders. Of course, no one here overeats, right? Pastor, I think we need auto call afterwards, Pastor. <laughs> so hunger and overeating are different. So in other words, as a Christian, we need to steward our sexual desires and ensure that these things don't sweep us, these undercurrents don't sweep us into lustful thinking and behavior. Just like hunger. We feel hungry, we eat appropriately. Make sure that that doesn't sweep us into an eating binge. That will destroy our health. Okay. So, sexuality is also our identity as male or as female. So, so, in other words, we are, as a human being, we are, I mentioned earlier on, you know, the body, soul, and spirit. So, our, our distinctiveness as a male or as a female, as we, either males or females, we, we have this desire in us, which is the other side of sexuality, that when we were born, we felt that something is missing. Something is missing. And, and we have this desire to want to connect. And, and without even being able to articulate what this is. Of course, now we know God has set eternity in our hearts. We want to connect with our Abba Father. We want to connect with other people. 
And, and so there's this energy where we are propelled to relate with one another. And the Bible has so many one another's or one anothering. And so, so that's why it's important as a, as a question that we have to balance this sensual and this relational thing. And, and that, that we, we balance that we, we, we want to love others, we want to be loved, we want to trust other people, we want to be trusted, we want to help others have a sense of belonging and, and ourselves to, to find a belonging here as well. And all these things is part of our makeup. And um, so that is sexuality. Now, let me move on to another principle of sexual wholeness. Sexual wholeness. Now, when I was growing up, uh, the church spoke a lot about purity, sexual purity. So, uh, when I was beginning to um, minister in this area, somehow the word wholeness kept on coming to me. And, and not purity as much. And, and I'll explain to you what wholeness means. Like, like holiness, wholeness, and fullness in Christ. Live a full and abundant life. Holiness, wholeness, and fullness. So sexual wholeness is a holistic view of mankind. In Genesis 2, um, verse 7, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now, I want you to follow closely Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Now, Genesis chapter 2 is also a cre- uh, the creation account, like Genesis chapter 1. But Genesis 2 gives more detail than chapter 1. So in chapter 2, we see how God formed the man. And the first step, he formed the man from the dust in the ground. So he was already a man. And then the Lord breathed the breath of life into this man formed from the dust. So, So he was a man before he was a living being. So Adam became a living being. So in other words... Adam's manhood is embodied in every aspect of Adam. So in other words, Adam is a male body, soul, and spirit. So in other words, what we're saying here is that your gender is not what's just between your legs. That if you're a male, you're a body, soul, spirit, you're a male. And if you're a female, you're body, soul, and spirit... A female. So, what does that mean? That means that a woman thinks like a woman. She prays like a woman. She reacts like a woman. She commits like a woman. She communicates like a woman. In the same way, a man thinks like a man. He prays like a man. He reacts like a man. He commits like a man. So, wholeness is about the whole person. Body, soul, and spirit. And each gender has a unique way of connecting. The other day I was in the office. My son called me. and said, He says, Dad, can I borrow your shoes? I'm going to the gym. Now, my son has a V-shaped body. 
Now, I used to have a V-shaped body. It, please don't laugh, it's painful, you know. My son has six packs. I used to have six packs, but now I can't find it. So he, I said, sure, son, um, um, go to the gym, wear my shoes. Then about 10 minutes later, he calls me again, Dad, the bottom of your shoes says gender engineering. So I was a bit concerned. So I, I went to check online. I, I wear a Japanese running shoe called Mizuno. So I went online to check. So apparently my shoe is for a guy. Even the way that a guy runs and the way a woman runs is different. So I never knew that until my son told me, Dad, you are wearing a shoe that's designed for a male. I said, yes, and now I know. Now I know. So each gender is unique. And, and, and as a church, we have to appreciate the other gender. Let's say if you're male, you appreciate that gender. If you're female, and the other gender. Secondly, secondly, sexual wholeness is relational intimacy. Number two. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God created us as relational, as sexual beings, and He gave us this energy uh, towards relationships. And so we are, we, are, we are called to experience ourselves as the beloved of God and to embrace others as others embrace us. When I came to Singapore at 11 years old, as a foreign student, the school embraced me, and Singaporeans embraced me. Single people, those who are singles, can have relational intimacy without marriage and without romance. As families journey with singles, as singles journey with other married people, um, in other words, singles can be whole people without having sex, without getting married, without romance. Single are whole people. In fact, if we get married, hoping that we can be a whole person through marriage, then we have to really have a different conversation. Single people can be whole without romance, without sex, and without marriage because you and I can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. Many, many years ago, prison wardens didn't understand this. And they would put prisoners in solitary confinement for months and years on end. When those prisoners came out of confinement, they had mental issues. You see, as human beings, we can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. Now, number three, sexual wholeness is about sexual integrity. Now, the Latin 
root word of integrity is the word wholeness or soundness. So in Romans 12, 1, uh, which I alluded to earlier on, um, Romans 12, 1 says, um, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So sexual integrity is expressing sexuality in true, excellent, honest, pure way. It is thinking and behaving sexually in ways that, that honour God, honour other people, and honour yourself as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this thinking and behaviour is consistent with the Word and our healthiest core values. Now, the person I think about in sexual integrity is a guy called Joseph in Genesis chapter 29. Now, Joseph was the chief in the household of Potiphar. But Mrs. Potiphar offered herself to him. Joseph never seduced her. Jo Joseph never flirted with her. But Mrs. Potiphar offered herself to him. Now, some of you cannot identify with the Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar story. So I will tell you about this story in Singaporean terms. Now, you go on a business trip with your colleague. Business trip, usually above five hours, we fly business. Below five hours, we fly economy. Anyway, that was before the recession. So we, we go overseas for business trip, and then we check into the overseas hotel, and the hotel bed is so soft, and everything, the pillowcase is white, the blanket is white, the, everything is white. It's so fluffy and firm at the same time. And there is a card on the bed with the orchid saying, Welcome to our hotel, Mr. Benjamin Lee, the hotel's general manager. You look in the hotel uh, bedroom shower and it's all glass windows. You walk inside the shower and you can see that the shower's from the ceiling. It's opulence. Really nice hotel. And then you go for your business meetings overseas. Successful business meeting. And after you go for dinner with your colleague, and there's, uh, uh, of course, there's meal allowance, budget and all that. And then you, you, you eat with your colleague and there's some alcohol there as well and, and you're both suc uh, successful deals, signed contract already. And the, the colleague says to you, Joseph, we are both adults. Let's have some fun tonight. No one needs to know about this. Just you and I, one night far away from everybody else. No one knows us here. We are both adults. Let's have some fun tonight. And Joseph says to Mrs. Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, your husband owns this company. How can I dishonour him? How can I dishonour you, Mrs. Potiphar? How can I dishonour me and the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for my sins? How can I dishonour my family? And how can I dishonour my church, my community here? 
Sexual wholeness is living out our sexuality in God-respecting, other-respecting, and self-respecting ways. Now, now, in this church here, we have many children. A sexually whole community is when children are growing up to parents who are sexually whole. Elders and pastors and staff and leaders who are sexually whole. And these kids grow up sexually whole. Some of them get married and they, they, they become sexually whole parents. And some of the kids grow up, they're single, and they become sexually whole singles in this church. In this church, uh, there's no, no singles here who are lonely because the families here embrace the singles. Other singles embrace those singles. And so no one here is lonely. We're all walking together as a covenant community. You know, it, it is harder for a single in their condo or their, their apartment to invite a family over. It is easier for a family to invite a single over for dinner, Christ, you know, th- those festive occasions. And so as a, as a community, no one is lonely and out of loneliness driven to sexual compulsive behaviours. Because we are walking as a community. Now, number three, I want, I want to move on a, a bit. Now, when I, when I began three years ago, the Lord uh, gave me a download, um, a picture of how to help churches and families talk about sex. And so I, I use a metaphor, I use a picture uh, to talk about sex. And uh, so... Um, the metaphor, oops, is a garden. So garden, uh, why garden? Because scriptures begin with a garden and then it ends also with a garden. Um, at the end, with the tree of life and, and the river and, and in Revelations. And there's a, a couple, uh, Adam and Eve, in Eden. And there's also a couple in Revelations where there, there is the Lamb of God and the New Jerusalem, the, the church, and, and, and we see that human sexuality was introduced in Eden. In chapter 3 was the fall. Then there was shame. And the Song of Solomon is a garden story where it's the story of sexuality redeemed, where Solomon consummated his wedding to the Shilamite woman in a marriage that's, that's passionate and beautiful and not lust-driven at all. So Scripture provides this idea of, um, of this garden and I kind of use that to describe sexuality. And we see, we see that um, Jesus, when he talked about marriage, uh, divorce, remarriage, and he goes back to the garden template in Matthew 19.8. This was not in the beginning, the divorce concept. And then Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, talking about sex, um, he goes back to the, to the f- principle of first mention in Genesis. It is said the two becomes one. And the Bible provides word pictures of a walled garden. Now, when I talk about sex using the garden, I'm talking about a private garden, not a public garden where anyone can come and go like the botanic gardens. Now, so this garden, this garden has a wall, and in this wall, Every gardener has um, this wall, and inside the wall, there are flowers, there are trees, there are butterflies, there are fruits, there's a river. You can smell um, the flowers. You can, 
you can almost smell the cherries. And, but a wall surrounds the garden. So the wall protects the life in the garden. We, we, may, we may climb up to the edge and wonder what's across there, but we respect the boundaries of this wall. And there's a door in this wall, and we have a key to the door. And we're wondering, do I open the door and let people come, come in? Because there is a wilderness outside the garden. There are weeds of myth and misunderstanding and abuse that fill the ditches outside. And outsiders, intruders, and pests wants to come in and destroy the harvest of sexual wholeness. There is a serpent outside who wants to come in and drop his poison. But the walls on the north, south, east, and west protect the garden. Now what happens when we open the door and let someone come in? Two things happen. Remember sex, there's the sensual part and the relational, emotional part. When we sin sexually, there are physical consequences. STIs, unplanned pregnancies, and there's the emotional consequences. Oh, pastor, he said he'll marry me, then I had sex with him, now he left me, pastor, I'm depressed, I'm suicidal, I I skipped classes for two months already, I'm lost. So there's, there's all the emotional and psychological consequences because sexuality has these two broad parts. So God's instructions teach us how to prepare and plant sexual wholeness. So each gardener got to guard every facet of our garden and pull out the weeds and behave that hinder healthy sexuality. Now the key, now every day I see people in my office who have sexual brokenness and every story breaks my heart. Every single sexual brokenness story comes from relational brokenness. So healthy relationships are the life flow of the garden because we are born into this world with a longing to connect with God, to connect with others, significant others in our lives. At the heart of sexuality is a longing for union for, and communion with, with Him and with others. And, and So the garden is a place of intimate relationship. Now, I'll just go quickly on the fourth point, which is... Um, the Lord gave me a download three years ago, and this is what I do with churches and families. Um, so it's called the Sacred Garden, number four. Uh, the Sacred Garden is a structure, um, it's a strategy for a framework of sexual health in the family and in the church. So it's a structure to make sure the pastors, elders, and parents cover all the bases in the home and the church for sexual wholeness. So this framework is, is comprehensive, it applies both to the home and the church, and um, um, why? why? Why is it important for the family and the church to be sexually healthy? Because you cannot be spiritually healthy if you're sexually unhealthy. Does it make sense? So, um, I'm just going to go quickly on, on this point because I, I normally deal with leaders here. Um, so, the sacred garden ha- is a three-layered garden the outermost layer are the hedges or the walls that protect the life and the harvest of sexual wholeness within the garden 
So those are the things in your life, your family or church, that has to be in place. And then there are seven things that the home and the church must do. And those are the seven uh, organic nurseries that are inside the garden. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven things to do in the home or in the church to, to promote sexual wholeness, sexual health. And the heart of the garden is relationships with our maker, that we walk in integrity and with mates. Mates means our friends, our friends. So I mentioned this already. I, I want to move um, to my final point this morning, number five. What happens if my garden is in disrepair? What happens if my marital garden is in disrepair? What happens if, if I'm married, my marriage is fine, but is it, I have some issues, individual gardens, the issues. Or if I'm a single, there are issues in my life as a single, sexual issues. Or if in a family, there are issues in, with our children, our nephew, our niece, or grandparent. In every church that I go to, about half to three quarters of the church are facing at any point in time some issue of sexuality. Now, the most common one for married couples is lack of sexual intimacy for married couples. Every time I, I go to churches, husbands tell me, Pastor, uh, not enough sex in the marriage. And the wives tell me, oh, Pastor, a lot already. And then there's infertility for some, which is not funny. Then there's sexual abuse. There's same-sex attraction. There's premarital sex. There is pornography, which is a, a huge issue in Singapore churches, uh, masturbation for both singles and marrieds. And so the, the, there was, in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6, um, there's this gardener, uh, he, he said, they made me a caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard, of my own garden. I, I, I don't know what he was busy or she was busy with, doing many, many things, but his own garden was broken. You know, for, um, as a child growing up, for over 10 years, I struggled with pornography and masturbation. I'm sorry, I was not struggling. I was an addict to pornography and masturbation. Pornography was my fantasy. Masturbation was my reality. And you know, um, I always told myself that uh, I would not tell anybody. I would do it myself, to get out of sin myself. And, and before I knew it, it was over 10 years growing up. I was an addict. Some of you here are also trapped in compulsive sexual behavior. And you're saying that, you know, I'm so embarrassed by it, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to battle it myself. And through self-determination, I will battle out. You know, um, People ask me, you know, Ben, how did you get out of porn and masturbation? I lifted up the curtains and let the light come in. Because when the light comes in, darkness has to flee. So in other words, I told somebody that I was an addict to pornography and masturbation. So I'm praying right now in my heart that if any of you here are struggling sexually, 
the Lord is dropping a name into your heart right now, a name of a leader in this church that you respect and you trust. I'm praying that the Lord would speak to you right now that whatever you're struggling with, that the Lord will speak to you a name of a leader of this church that you trust and you, you respect and that you will approach this leader later on, tomorrow, tonight, email, WhatsApp, whatever, to say, you know, I, I'm not making it, man. I'm in this, I'm, I'm in this, in this hole I cannot get out of. You know, sexual brokenness is an intimacy disorder and the issues that are unresolved in our lives. When I see clients today, I, I tell them that, why do you do this? If your real need is intimacy, why do you do this thing? Why don't you stop doing this, this sexual behavior and go and build real relationships? Have BFF, best friends forever. And then you have to resort to all this illicit behavior. And because your body will demand more and more. Sexual sin thrives in the dark. If you keep on hiding, it'll be another 10 years, you'll be there. So find a safe and trustworthy friend because you were never meant to bear this burden alone. So our life is not to avoid sin, but our life is to live in wholeness. Jesus can take away your sin, as He did mine, and He can take away your shame. You know, I tell this story in conferences where my children are present as well. And I talk to my children about porn and masturbation, how Daddy got stuck for over 10 years growing up. And Daddy wouldn't want any of you to be involved in this. And that, the reason why I, I say this, I'm embarrassed to say this, is because I, I don't want anyone, in case there's anyone here, that's stuck in this. I was in the hell, I was in the pit of sin. I was a slave. Sexual sin promises is kicks, but I, there's a kickback that I got, kicked so many times. The Bible says that um, where the river flows, everything will live. So as I close, as I close um, this time, I just want to say that, um, you know, each one of us here has a, a longing we have a God-shaped vacuum that, that we're going to ask God, God, would you come and invade the inner sanctum of my life? Fill me. Use me. I, God, would you move me from the shallow end of the spiritual pool to the deep end, O oh Lord? I don't want to mess around and toy around with sexuality anymore. But Lord, I want to behold your beauty. Because at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, would you move me away from the shallow end of the spiritual pool? Because I want to be at the deep end of the pool with you, Lord. And for those of us who are singles, Lord, you're saying to yourself, Lord, I, I, I don't want to bring the junk that I'm facing right now into my marriage, which is meant to be a beautiful thing. You know, men and women today, our children are tired of adults who say one thing and we do another thing. Our children are tired of adults who are unfaithful to their spouse. Our children have seen enough divorce and brokenness and we're all, <laughs> as Christians, we're all sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
That's why our challenge is to encourage one another in our cell groups, in our deacons groups, in our ministry groups, elders groups, to say, let's stand together without masks, without veils, and, and that we can be unashamed and, and love each other. A vision of real relationships governed by lifelong covenant where we find the greatest freedom and joy. And as Christ followers, we, we help each other. If I fall down today, would you help me? Would you give permission to someone in your cell group to say, if I start flirting with my secretary, would you raise the red flag in my face? I'm giving you permission. If I began to look at funny images on my tablet, mommy and daddy, would you come and, and check my, my tablet and my smartphone every day, mommy and daddy? Or husband and wife, check each other's phone. Because I want to walk in righteousness. Not that I'm righteous, but because of the imputed righteousness of God upon our lives. Jesus was not afraid to swim against the tide. The cultural norm that time was to get married. Jesus remained single. The norm at the time was for a married man to have sex with a wife for procreation, sex with a mistress for recreation. But Jesus was not only single, he was celibate. Jesus was celibate and he lived a deeply fulfilling life with all his friends. He had close friends. He had the 12 guys. He had Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Jesus never suppressed his sexuality, but he developed the social side of his sexuality. He nurtured warm and tender friendships with men and women alike. He channeled all his drives to make deep and lasting relationships. And so can you and I whether you're single or you're married. Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes, please, and bow your heads? We're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the couples here, the singles here, the young people who are here. Lord, we, we just want to um, pray for your, your grace to be upon every single person this morning. Lord, for those of us who are living healthy, holy, whole, full lives, Lord, we rejoice with you. And we say, Lord, let your grace continue to flow in those lives. Lord, we rejoice with those couples and those singles. And we say, let, let it flow, Lord. Let your grace continue to flow in those lives. Let them be a beacon of light of, of uh, being sexually whole people in this church in this community, in Pasir Panjang. Lord, for those of us who, who experience sexual brokenness, sexual sin in our lives, Lord, I want to pray for every single who's here, every single who's um, present here, that the singles here, Lord, can walk in purity. Now, if there are any of you here as, as eyes are closed, heads are bowed, if you say, you know, Lord, I'm a, I'm a single, Lord, and I'm struggling to walk in, in, in holiness, in purity, would you say... Uh, Please pray for me and just lift up your hands and put it down again so, so I can see who you are. Just up and down. Is there anyone here that's single? You say, Lord, thank you. Anyone else? Just lift it up and down. Thank you. Anyone else? Just lift it up and down. Okay. The, the second category are, are, are those of you who are parents. Parents who are here. 
And you know, um, because our, our culture, our, our church culture, even in general, we don't talk much about sex, right? So, but there are parents here whom the Lord is stirring in your hearts that you need to disciple your young people in sexuality, your, your children, uh, those in your charge. And you say, Lord, would you help me as well uh, to disciple my, my children in sexuality? Would you raise your hands as well? Say, that, that's me, Lord. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Thank you. Thank you. Just put it up and down. Anyone else? Just up and down. Anyone else? Okay. And um, those of you here who are courting, who are dating, and you say, Lord, would you help us as dating couples, as courting couples, as engaged couples, Lord, to also walk in purity and wholeness? And if this is you, you say, Lord, that's, that's me. Just, that's, just lift up your hands and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Okay. Father, I pray for all the singles here, uh, all the singles who lifted their hands and, and even some who may be struggling but didn't lift their hands. Lord, we pray, Lord, that would you, would you send accountability partners to come alongside these single people that they can walk in wholeness, in purity, and overcoming temptation. Lord, you, you teach a young men to flee temptation. Lord, we pray for a structure of accountability, um, a structure of, uh, of people who love them and who journey with them, Lord, that those who are struggling, they will, they will seek help and seek people who will journey with them. Lord, we pray for parents who are present here as well. Parents, Lord, whom, uh, and many of us, maybe all of us, our parents never spoke to us and assume we'll pick it up along the way. But Lord, you have, um, you have spoken to us, Lord, through today maybe and through other times, Lord, we should disciple our children. And we should disciple our children also in the area of sexuality. Lord, help us. Would you equip us, give us the, the love, the compassion and the courage to do so. Lord, for those of us who are dating, who are courting, who are engaged, help us, Lord, to walk in purity, Lord, walk in holiness, that, Lord, we can eventually, when we get married, walk in fidelity to our spouse as well. Lord, we pray for this church, that people in this church, Lord, will, will be growing up in a community of sexually whole people, the leaders, the members, the married couples, the singles, who are all sexually whole walking away from brokenness towards sexual wholeness, that singles are journeying with marriages, marriages uh, cut families with singles, all together as one covenant community. Lord, make us one, Lord. Make us one, Lord. Make us that, that city on a hill, Lord, that we can salt the surrounding culture as well. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. Lord, we thank you for this scripture. And we pray, Lord, that we will not be hearers of the word alone. We'll be doers. And for those of us, Lord, we also pray that, that you've given us a name in our heart to speak to a leader, Lord, to help us in our journey. Lord, may we take the courage to do so as well. We thank you, Lord, for speaking this morning to each one of us here in our unique situation. We pray this and we commit this time and the afternoon and, and the rest of this, this day into your hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. All of us say? Yeah. All of us say, okay.